Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in, with, in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Uh, Susan, thank you very much indeed, and uh, welcome again to you all. Uh, I'd like to add my own welcome to that of uh, Pete's uh, earlier in the service. It is very good to see you here. If you're uh, visiting, uh, you won't know that we've been working through Um, The great I am sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, over these last weeks, these summer weeks and this morning. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray now as we turn to look at the Bible together. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to understand your word, not just intellectually, uh, but that you would touch our hearts change there for the way that we live and help us to understand what it means that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life and to live in accordance with it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to listen to the last paragraph of Bob Geldof's autobiography. Some of you will remember Bob Geldof, the lead singer of the Boomtown Rats, the founder of Live Aid, Band Aid. This is what he writes right at the end of his autobiography. On the day of the Live Aid concert, the Live Aid concert was a dual venue concert running concurrently at Wembley Stadium in London and uh, the John F. Kennedy Stadium in Philadelphia, you'll remember. On the day of the Live Aid concert, the greatest assembly of rock musicians ever, at the end of 17 hours of live music, which had been watched by more people than any other event in history, Bill Graham, the promoter of the event, stepped out onto the stage in Philadelphia. Bill walked down to look at the empty stadium. 
Just in front of the stage were a group of kids hanging around, still finishing what was left of their beer. One of them turned to him and shouted, Hey, you, Bill Graham. Bill looked down with an inquiring smile. The kid shouted up, Is that it? And then Bob Geldof writes these words. It's something I keep asking myself. Is that it? It's what he's uh, called his autobiography. So here, Bob Geldof, the singer-turned-philanthropist, the, the boomtown rat who became the, the shantytown saviour, a man who enjoyed great success as a pop star and then used his fame to raise astonishing amounts of money to save the lives of starving millions in Ethiopia. First by gathering a star-spangled group of the best-known pop and rock stars of the time, calling them Band-Aid, recording that song, do you remember it, Do They Know It's Christmas? And then following that success by organising that huge global concert, the Live Aid concert. Now, you may not have been a fan of Geldof's music. You may not be impressed by his rock star lifestyle and outspoken, colourful language, but Bob Geldof did something with his life. He made a difference to millions of the most desperate people on this planet. But in his own words, even after achieving so much, he keeps asking himself, is that it? Is that what life's about? Uh, earlier in the book, right at the very beginning of the book, uh, he tells us when, what went through his mind as he stood on the stage at that live aid concert. And he says, I knew that nothing in my life had been worth anything until now. He comes at this moment, he thought, this is what life's about. And then afterwards, at the end of the book, even as he reflects on that great achievement, the moment of the culmination of his life, still he's asking himself, is that it? What's the point of it all? What's the point of our existence on planet Earth? What are we here for? Where are we going? Most of us won't get close to experiencing the successes of Bob Geldof, not in terms of fame or finance or philanthropy. Oh, for sure, as I look around this church family, there are many successful people here. Some could boast of extraordinarily successful careers. Those, perhaps in medicine, will be able to look back on a life that has significantly helped thousands of people. You'll be able to say that you made a difference. But still, here's the question, is that it? For others like me, by the end of our lives, we'll have achieved very little. But even for those here who feel very ordinary, as you look back on your life, you may well be able to rejoice in successes, academic excellence, a a loving family, a faithful marriage, great sporting achievements. And those are great things, not to be sniffed at, but is that it? Of course, there's others here just starting out. Some just having received their A-level results this week, others nervously waiting for their GCSE results next week. Here you are at the very beginning of life, wondering what the future holds, how life's going to pan out for you. And then there's little Daniel, baptised this morning at the very beginning of his life. I've not spoken to Helen and James and asked them what their hopes and dreams are and ambitions for him, but I guess you don't want him just to drift through life, because no one wants that. I am yet to meet anyone who just sets out to aimlessly wander through their lives. I've met plenty of people who feel that that is how life turned out, but I haven't met anyone who set out to achieve 
nothing very much in life. In life, we aim for things. We want to know where we're going. Who wants to get to the end of their life and echo these words? Is that it? And so this morning, as we continue looking at these great sayings of Jesus, I am, we couldn't turn to a more significant sentence. As we think about where we're going in life and what is life all about, Jesus says, John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is the most astonishing claim. And it is a claim that if it is true, it is one of the most significant sentences you and I will ever hear. Because these words really can rescue us from a lifetime of aimless wandering. These words tell us where we ought to be heading in life. They tell us the way, the direction, the point of it all. Uh, To really understand these words of Jesus here, we need to go back a few sentences. I hope you've still got your Bible open in front of you, page 1082. I think it will help you if you have it open just to see uh, what has been said before we come to verse 6. See, at the end of chapter 13, Jesus told his disciples that he was going away, as he put it. And that where he was going, they could not follow. Look back with me to chapter 13 and verse 33. Jesus says to his disciples, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you can't come. Now, as we read on in the next few verses, we discover that the disciples were confused by Jesus' words. And more than that, they were really distressed by Jesus' words, which is why he said to them at the beginning of chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. And it's quite understandable why they were so anxious, him having said he was going away. Remember, the disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They gave up jobs. Some of them left successful family businesses. They'd spent the last three years following this itinerant preacher all over the country. At times living rough. At times not knowing where the next meal was coming from. They had left everything for Jesus just because they believed that in Jesus Christ they'd found the very purpose of life itself... And now he said he's going away and they can't follow him. Can you imagine how they, they felt? You can hear them saying, can't you? Is that it? Three years and that's it? You're going? You're leaving us? Jesus, we followed you faithfully across the length and breadth of this country. There's been some great moments. We've seen you perform the most amazing miracles. We've heard you teach the most profound truths. It's been remarkable, but it's not been easy. The authorities have been looking for any chance to do away with you. Following you has made us marked men too. We've risked life and limb for you, Jesus. We've made sacrifices for you, Jesus. And now you're going, is that it? And isn't that exactly the feeling that grabs so many people at key times in their lives? Look, if you and I have thrown ourselves into anything at all, or may I put it this way, whatever we have made our priority when we come to key moments in our lives we will look back and ask is that it it's what a midlife crisis is all about and when I reach midlife I'll tell you more about that (laughs) Uh, seriously if you're sports mad like me midlife is that time when your childhood dreams evaporate when you realise you will never be an Olympian or play sports professionally it was never likely to happen but I had to come to the point where I realised no it really won't happen now a midlife is when you look back at your career and you realise that you're never going to make it to the top. 
Or if you are at the top, you think about all the sacrifices that you made and wonder if it was really worth it because it doesn't quite deliver. It's not as glamorous or fulfilling as you thought it would be. And so you ask, is that it? And of course, midlife is when you realize that half your time on planet Earth has gone and it all went so quickly. That is scary, isn't it? And then after midlife comes retirement, and there's plenty of people in this church family who've told me that retirement is much harder to cope with than they ever realized. Especially if your identity, who you are, how you define yourself, your status is all bound up in your career. So the successful businessman feels all at sea at retirement as he says, these days I don't have much reason to get out of bed in the morning. I keep myself busy with the garden, we help out with the grandchildren and we're able to enjoy nice holidays. I really shouldn't complain. I have a good and easy life, but it's not the same anymore. I don't feel needed these days. No one looks to me for answers anymore. The company continues to flourish and so I've had to face up to the shuddering realisation that they really can survive without me. And perhaps worst of all, I look at the years ahead and I don't have anything to aim for. I don't know where I'm going. You see, at retirement, we ask the question, is that it? And if it's not midlife and it's not retirement, it certainly hits us near death. My mum was diagnosed with cancer some 10 years ago now. She lived another five years. But months before her death, she she said to me, I wonder what I've achieved in life. I was able to reassure that she'd done a brilliant job in raising a fantastic son no, no, really, my brother is a great bloke. Um, we talked, we laughed together, but we also thought seriously about what really mattered. I share something of that intimate conversation with you to demonstrate that as we near the end of life, those questions go through our minds. And if we don't have an answer, we are haunted by this very question Is that it? I've loved the Olympics. I found great pleasure and uh, spent too much time watching the British athletes and their remarkable achievements. And I've loved hearing the backstories. Athletes who've overcome such diversity to reach their goals. Um, Cyclist Becky James, who overcame a a cancer scare and numerous injuries to win two silver medals in Rio. Heather Fisher, who fought anorexia to be part of the women's rugby sevens team. Olympic swimmers, uh, swimmers Siobhan Marie O'Connor and Kathleen Baker, both winning silver medals in Rio, both having been diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. And quite apart from those most extraordinary stories, there's a backstory, of course, behind every success. And we've heard those, those success stories, we've heard the backstories as athletes are interviewed after winning a medal of any colour. Do you hear them? They thank all the people who've helped them to win. And then they speak of, have you heard this word? Huge sacrifices they've had to make. But, and this is the point, after the the euphoria of outstanding success, of standing on the top of the podium, what have they done? Some years ago, one athlete said, at the end of the day, all I do is jump into a sand pit. (laughs) Listen to the words of Alison Edwards, wife of the Sydney Olympic triple jump champion, Jonathan Edwards. After her uh, her husband's gold medal in Sydney, uh, she said, you've worked for this for so long now and it's happened, and now that it's happened, it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. 
But now it's over. Now what? You can hear it again, can't you? Even after reaching the pinnacle of your sport, is that it? See, when we give our lives to anything, when it's over, we're left with a devastating so what. And at the end of John chapter 13, that's what the disciples are left with. Having given their everything to Jesus, they heard him say that he's going away and that they can't follow. And so they thought it's all over. And so they're left with that devastating, empty question. Is that it? Why have we given our lives to following Jesus? And if we're honest, we'll feel that whenever we've honestly survey our lives, having striven for something and given the largest part of our life to achieve it. But unlike a midlife crisis, and unlike an Olympic champion after the event, and unlike retirement, and even unlike that feeling near death where you look back and wonder, was it all worth it? Unlike all that, the next words of Jesus tell us why following him will not leave us with that empty feeling. Look at verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Here is Jesus' explanation to the disciples as to why he's going away and indeed why they cannot follow because he's going to do something quite unique. And here is why following Jesus will not leave us with a sense of what's the point. First, you see there in verse 2, Jesus speaks of a wonderful future beyond the grave. He calls it his father's house. I love that picture. For the Christian, death is not the end, but a homecoming. Uh, We've just been away for two weeks holiday, and uh, while I've loved being away, in the sunshine, by a pool, relaxing, I also love coming home. Home is where I belong. It's where I feel comfortable and safe. At the time in my life when I I most felt the wonder of coming home was after being in New York for for 10 weeks, having worked with the homeless, most of whom were drug addicts. It was an amazing time in my life, hugely formative, but it was tough. The living conditions weren't easy. I saw things every day that were really distressing. For sure, I worked with some amazing people, but they weren't family and they weren't close friends. And in New York City, even though everybody spoke English, they didn't understand a word I was saying. I didn't understand they were saying. And the culture was different. And after 10 weeks of living in that environment, I remember that wonderful feeling of being home. Not just being in familiar surroundings, not just now being in a comfortable house, but being with my family who loved me. It's where I belong. That's home, isn't it? And that's what Jesus is speaking about here in verse 2. Coming home. You and I were created to be in a loving relationship with God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, to be part of his family. And we live in a world, as beautiful as it is, we live in a world that is broken and corrupt and damaged. A world where things never turn out as they should. A world where selfishness and loneliness and disruptive forces ruin what is good and here in this world even if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ I'm not fully in the presence of God so I will never really feel fully at home but Jesus says there's a place beyond this life our father's house and to be there it will be like coming home and that's the point that's the point There in the presence of God himself, I'll never ask, is that it? But I will say, this is it. 
This is what it's all about. I was speaking to someone this week who was telling me about his holiday. He said to me, I've discovered something really important on holiday and it's this. It doesn't matter where you are as long as you're enjoying it with the people you love. Just imagine being with the person who loves you the most, God himself, and being in the most fantastic place as well. That's why Jesus said to his disciples in verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled because following him had not been a waste of life. And that's why he had to go away. End of verse two, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, please don't misunderstand this, this preparing a place. Jesus didn't prepare a place in his father's house by sort of plumping the cushions and decorating one of the many rooms for you. That's not it. No, the the going away he speaks of here is, is his going to the cross Dying on the cross and then rising from the dead and ascending into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. That was his going away. And that is how he prepared a place in heaven for his followers. And explaining that is how Jesus settles the troubled and anxious hearts of his disciples. See, Jesus' disciples were questioning whether they'd wasted their life in following him. And until they understood the cross and the resurrection and life beyond the grave, they were left with this sense of, is that it? But once they'd understood it, once we understand why Jesus went to the cross and that trusting in him gives us a guarantee of eternal life, that sense of hopeless purposelessness goes. See, if we've invested our lives in anything that doesn't deal with the problem of death, then at the end of the day, we too will ask the question, is that it? Even if I raise millions of pounds to save millions of starving people, and don't mishear me, it was a great thing to do, but even then, according to Bob Geldof, I will be left with a sense of what's the point. But if I follow Jesus Christ, there is a point, not a hopeless end point, but a beautiful, meaningful relationship with God the Father in his house beyond the grave. Death is not the end, but just the beginning. This life is not what it's all about. There is more to come. How can we be sure we'll get it? Well, Jesus says to his followers in verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The logic is simple. Jesus says, if I'm going to the cross to die for you, to secure this place in my father's house for you, if I'm prepared to do that for you, then you can be sure I'm going to come back and take you to be with me here in my father's house. It is um, difficult for me to put into words my utter dislike for shopping. Traipsing around stores getting more and more frustrated as I cannot find the things that I want with crowds of miserable people all around me I really do not care for shopping at all I'm glad for those of you like it good on you I don't and so you won't be surprised to hear that I am one of those who loves internet shopping and innovations like click and collect so let me tell you that I'm someone who really also dislikes wasting money. So I love clicking and collecting, and when I click, you can be sure I will collect because I don't like wasting money. The last time I did click and collect, I brought something for my wife's birthday, and having clicked, having parted with what I thought was a significant amount of money, 
but you can ask my wife whether it was or not, I can tell you I didn't need any email reminders to ensure that I did collect the item. Now look, if I won't forget to collect an item that I've clicked for, some clothing that I've parted my money with, how much more can you and I be sure that Jesus won't forget to take us, to collect us, to be with him in his father's house? Because Jesus didn't simply click a button. He died on a cross. He paid with more than a credit card. He gave his very life. And being prepared to go and pay such a high price, he says to his disciples in verse 3, if I go and pay with my life to secure a place for you in my father's house, you can be absolutely sure I am going to collect you and take you to be with me. And so in these verses, Jesus says to his disciples, my going away is not a bad thing for you. And my going away shouldn't leave you thinking, is that it? What's been the point of following Jesus? My going away, says Jesus, should calm your troubled, anxious hearts and give you a terrific peace and joy and security and reassurance of really what life is all about. So he says in verse 4, you know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? See, despite Jesus' explanation, Thomas still didn't get it. I heard this week of a few people who got three A stars in A levels. We have some very bright people in this church family and I rejoice that we do. Next week, when the GCSE results are published, we might well hear of some who get nine, 10, 11 straight A stars. All of that is mind-boggling to me as someone who only managed to scrape five O levels and four of those at grade C. Let's just say I'm a little slow on the uptake. I'm not really uh, a picnic, a sandwich short of a picnic, but I'm close to it. (laughs) And that is how Jesus' first disciples were too. And I'm quite relieved that they were because were it not for Thomas's question, we wouldn't have got what Jesus said next. See, Thomas said, verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you were going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we draw to a close with this. As we go through life wondering what life is all about, wondering the way to go, Jesus says, I am the way. He's the way to God. He's the way to the Father's house. He's the way to having life beyond the grave. And so he is the way to avoid living a life that fizzles out in pointless disappointment. Now please grasp what Jesus is not saying. He's not simply saying, I am the one who can show you the way. Jesus is not simply a brilliant teacher who can explain the philosophy of life. He's not even a magnificent trailblazer, someone who's gone before us and now shows us the way we can go if we can try hard enough. That would be thoroughly depressing. Having to live the kind of life that Jesus lived in order to be able to secure life beyond the grave is frankly impossible. I couldn't live up to that standard. I've tried, it's impossible. That would leave me with no security that I would have a place in the Father's house. And this is quite possibly the biggest misunderstanding about Christianity around in Britain today. I meet many people who think that the Christian gospel is that we have to try hard, live up to Jesus' standard in order to get into heaven. So when I talk to people, they say to me, I'm not religious, but I try to live a good, live a good life. I'm not sure why they have to think, think they have to say that to me, except that they think that that's what I think the gospel is all about. And those who are religious, and they're keen to tell me that they do go to church and that they've been confirmed or whatever. 
Now, can you hear it when people are saying that? They're trying to say to me, I've lived up to a standard, a religious standard or a moral standard. But that is to miss the point. Here in verse 6, Jesus is not saying that he can show us the way, that he can give us a religious or moral way to live up to. That's not it at all. No, no, he says something quite different. He says he is the way precisely because he died on the cross. He is the way, so trust in him, verse 1. And you can be absolutely sure of spending all eternity in the Father's house. And then at the end of life, you won't say, is that it? But you'll enter a completely new beginning where you'll enjoy life beyond anything you've ever enjoyed to this point. And when I trust Jesus and become a disciple of his, it changes everything. It changes those big moments in life. It changes midlife because the fact that I won't ever be a top sportsman, isn't what life is about anyway. And whether I've achieved or not in my career is not the way my life is defined anyway. And it means that at my retirement, my life need not just drift by with me living out my days in a trivial pursuit of gardening and foreign travel. In retirement, I can live for Jesus Christ and tell others about him and continue to have a mission and still have a bright future with the best yet to come. And it means I can face death knowing that it's not the end. Knowing that Jesus is the way and trusting him shapes what I do with life as I set out on life and right through life. For little Daniel this morning, this is what life is all about. And today, wonderfully, Helen and James have taken the public step to be committed to teaching Daniel that Jesus is the way and they will help Daniel to see what that means. And let me tell you what it means for Daniel and for all of us who follow Jesus as I close. It is about wonderfully knowing that Jesus is what my life is about and then having and keeping Jesus as my primary focus in life, having him direct my path. His priorities become my priorities. My decisions in life are driven by what will most help me to live the way he would have me live. In parenting, in marriage, in the career path I choose, in the jobs I take, in the places I decide to live, in the way I choose to invest my money and use my money and how I structure my week and how I use my free time. Do you see it is all encompassing? And then when I've trusted Jesus and am his disciple like that, when I get to the end of my life, I'll not wonder if it was all worth it. I'll not be troubled by the question, is that it? Rather, I'll know that I've followed the way. It is a wonderful and deeply reassuring thing to know. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, let me say thank you so much for coming. And let me encourage you to turn to the Lord Jesus who is the way. And if you're not sure how to do that, I've got this little booklet. It's called The Real Jesus. I've got a number of them. I'll stand at the door. Just say I'd like one or take one from me out of my hand. You cannot think of a bigger or more important thing today or for the rest of your days. And let me just point you to verse 6 if you're not sure whether to investigate this or not. Because it says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says... No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way, according to Jesus. Now, you've got to work out whether that's true or not, but it's worth investigating, isn't it? And for those of you who are Christians, many of you already believers, let me say to you, keep on with Jesus. In the summer, it is very easy to to be distracted with sport, 
and holidays and many, many other things. And to begin to think that other things might be where you will find the meaning of life. No, says Jesus. I, says Jesus, am the way and the truth and the life. Let's keep going with him. Well, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Fathers, we hear these magnificent words of the Lord Jesus. We thank you very much that we are not left aimlessly wandering around life, wondering what it's all about. That we don't have to try our very hardest to do the most remarkable things and wonder if we've found the way. But that turning to him, we discover what life is all about and discover wonderfully that there's more to life than even we have now. And so we do pray for every one of us here, whether we are at the moment or not a wholehearted follower of Jesus, that we would become that and stay with it and not have that dreadful disappointment at the end of our lives that says, is that it? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.